How did you make it through the transition with the bank? They, they came to you and they said, how are we going to liquidate? You know what was tough too? This happened in 2008, 2009 when the bottom fell out of the economy. We were in that great recession. If you have a plan of how you want your business to be after you're gone, put it on paper. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. My name's Jason Zenger. And I'm Jim. And we are also in the studio here with Stacy Bales. And this is episode five, Presidency by Death in the Family. Before we get into uh, the meat of the podcast, Jim, do you have some manufacturing news for us? I do. I was uh, just recently uh, looking at my Google manufacturing news, and I noticed that the city of Atlanta is really short uh, manufacturing skilled laborers. Apparently, they're saying that six-figure incomes are the, the norm now for skilled manufacturers, machinists in that industry. So I was like, you know, I mean, I knew that because I'm in the industry for, for years, but to see it come to fruition and see it, you know, popular and actually in manufacturing news, that was kind of got me excited. How, how do you think that compares to other markets besides Atlanta? Well, I, I definitely think it's relevant in the Chicago market. I mean, absolutely, if there was somebody... In, in a shop here in the Chicagoland area that's working 50-plus hours a week, and he's highly skilled, and he's running the place, no problem at all. Well, we need to get some more people trained as machinists and in the manufacturing industry so that we can you know, raise the income levels of this country. And I right. think that that's a testament to the manufacturing industry and, and the reason why we're doing Making Chips, because we think that the manufacturing industry adds so much to this country, and you know, having well-paying jobs is one of those factors. It is. I mean, it's, it's it's a huge deficit. We know there's a problem with trying to get people into the industry now, and but it, it's turning around. It's slowly turning around. That's it's great. In the corner. That's great news. So, Jim, this is the first of a new format in our podcast. It is. I, I'm I'm excited. I'm to have Stacy with us today. It's it's all good. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna start episode five as an interview style format for our podcast. Jim and I believe that you know we have a lot that we can add to this podcast, but we also feel that we need to bring in industry experts, people that have stories to share with the metalworking nation that can help them that through whatever they're going through in their business. Jason, why don't you just quickly explain what Making Chips is all about? So Making Chips is a podcast to equip manufacturing leaders. So we want to provide content that the leaders in the manufacturing industry can take back to their business and that they can learn from the content that we provide. So think of it as the same content that you would get from a trade magazine, but delivered in an audio format. Yep. Kind of like a support group. Stacy Bales is the second generation owner and president of Bales Mold Service. Bales provides engineering coatings and finishes to mold makers and OEMs. They have locations in Illinois and Texas. In addition to Bales, 
Stacy is also on the board of directors of the TMA, which is the Technology and Manufacturing Association, and she's pr- president of the AESF. Stacy, tell us about your early involvement in your family's business. Like a lot of second generation and third generation, we start working on the shop floor, obviously as cleaning offices, working in the file room, worked in the ovens, worked in masking, worked in shipping and receiving for a little while, and then kind of made way, my way back up to the office and, you know, started at 14, 15 years old like everybody else and kind of worked your way up. Worked in the ovens. Tell me about that. <laughs> so we do baking at our facility to bake some of the coatings to provide um, a little bit harder coating. So. Okay, so you really did start from the very bottom and work your way up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You have to kind of pull the ranks to be able to uh, get the respect of the guys on the floor. Wait, yeah, I just I just have to add to that. Stacy got dirty on the shop floor, too. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, Jim, terrible. <laughs> okay, so you talked about getting respect from the, from the guys in the shop. Uh, tell me about that. Did you initially, when you came into the business, were they looking at you like, you know, who's this girl coming into the business? You know, I think being female, um, it probably gave me a little bit easier of a time on the shop floor. They were all pretty good at, at helping me out and trying to show me the ropes. And I think they just kind of had a little bit of fun uh, putting me under their thumb and telling me what to do and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't get quite the hazing, I think, that some of the other guys get. <laughs> But you really had to, I guess, prove your, prove your knowledge, prove your work ethic and everything and, you know, kind of, I guess, go above what they would normally expect from other people that started in the business. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, being the son or daughter of one of the owners, you definitely have a, a little bit uh, sharper eye on you and they're kind of watching every one of your moves to see what you do. And, you know, I, I think growing up with my dad, he, you know, kind of instilled in us that you have to work hard. And, you know, he showed us every day by going to work from six in the morning until, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night and working Saturdays and Sundays if he had to. And, um, you know, just kind of watching him growing up was definitely a good role model to show us what we needed to, to duplicate as we got older. So how many years did you work alongside your dad? So it would have been from 14 until 27 when he passed away. Okay. Can you tell us about that? Which part? <laughs> About your dad's passing. Um, you know, it was very unexpected. Um, I was 27. I, you know, I'd been down there for a while and, and had definitely worked in a lot of different facets. I was running the office at the time and, and handling all the finances and had met the bankers and the accountants and been involved with a lot of that. And uh, my cousin at the time was running the shop floor. So my dad was traveling back and forth to our Texas location a lot more often. And John and I were kind of, my cousin, were running the shop when he was out of town and you know we felt like we had our stuff together and everything was going fine and uh you know then the economy took a tank around 2008 and then uh, mid-2009 he was actually at our Texas location and didn't show up for work so we found out that he had passed away and you know it's it's the hardest part I think is just trying to separate we're always taught to separate work from home and in a family business you can't do that so on one hand you're trying to deal with all these feelings and and you're mourning, you know, and you're trying to deal with the fact that your dad's no longer there. And then on the other side of things, you're trying to run a business. You have to now worry about, you know, how's everything protected? How's everything going to go down? You know, are you worried about the employees? Are they going to still have the same confidence in the company? Are they all going to leave? You're worried about customers and, you know, what are their reactions going to be? Are they going to stand behind us and support us? Or are they going to, you know, walk away? And so just it's a lot of emotions just kind of hits you at once and... 
Yeah, so there was a lot of moving parts. I mean, oh. and, and I can't imagine going through that. I mean, because emotionally, you just want to mourn your father. But, you know, like you said, you just have to, um, you have to worry about the business, too. So what was the first thing that you did when that happened, business-wise? The first thing that we did was, you know, told the managers that we needed a little bit of time, and we took a couple of days. It, it was a weird timing for us. It was right before Thanksgiving. So actually, it'll be five years next week. You know, so so right off the bat, you know, we, we kind of talked to the attorneys. We sat down with the bank and sat down with the accountants and tried to, to work through everything. And in our situation, because my dad was only 53, he didn't have a will or a trust, which added another layer to the puzzle. So one of the biggest problems for us was trying to determine, you know, the pecking order and, and um, how everything was going to fall down. I mean, it was all on, up to us to make those decisions. And, you know, when everybody's grieving and, and it's, you know, it's just high emotions, it's hard to have those kind of discussions in the heat of the moment. Yeah, in, in a family business, what I've seen a lot is that family businesses are very flat. So everybody just runs up to the owner. So in that case, everybody probably went to your dad in many situations. So like you said, you know, who do they report to then? They probably didn't know. Exactly. And, you know, I think that, you know, everybody's fairly comfortable with my cousin and myself. My sister also joined the picture at that point. Um, She had kind of worked there off and on for a while. And all of a sudden she was thrust into being a half owner. And, you know, so there's just a lot of tension as to, you know, who should be the one on top. And, you know, there's obviously some hurt feelings and, and not everybody can win and um, just trying to kind of meet everybody in the middle so that everybody's happy. It's it's hard when you're in a family situation because you're, you're worried about feelings and, and all that stuff instead of just worrying about the business and what's right for the business. Yeah, family businesses definitely bring a different level of feelings and emotions and dynamics to um, to the normal managing and running of a business. Was there somebody that you relied on to get you through this transition? You know, uh, right after my dad had passed away, within um, two or three weeks, the president of the local Illinois Manufacturing Association actually came out to our facility and and basically said, we heard what happened and and we're here for you and and what do you guys need? And, you know, at the time, um, I'm 27 years old, my sister's a little bit younger, and uh, we were completely lost. They really took us by the hand and dragged us out. (laughs) And I hate to say drag us, but they had to drag us out to a few different events. And they literally held us by the hand and took us around the room and introduced us to everybody and, and really made us feel welcome. And after a few events and a few different gatherings and meeting some different people and really starting to have some conversations, you realize that you're not alone and that there's other people out there that are in very similar situations or understand where you're coming from and can really give you that support and guidance that you need, you know, in everyday life as well as in tragedy. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, that's great to hear. And, you know, it, it, I think it's so important to have a community of fellow business owners, a community of manufacturing companies that you can rely on. And we are all in very similar situations. I mean, there's, I would say most of the metalworking companies out there are family businesses. And there is always that chance that the owner of the company, the person that everybody goes to, is going to pass. So I, I don't think that your situation is unique. I mean, obviously, it's unique to you, and it, it was a tragedy to you, but other people may be going through that same thing in the future. Yeah, so I, Stacy's shared this, this story with me before, too, as you may or may not know, Jason, and um, I think it's important for our, our listeners to, to kind of know what Stacy and her family went through when this happened, because, you know, we're, we're never prepared for anything of this magnitude. 
And I, maybe you can share with us, Stacy, you know, some advice. You know, what were the big hurdles that you had to get over? What was the biggest slap in the face? What was the biggest heartache that you, other than losing your dad, but what was the other heartache with regards to the business, the biggest hurdle that you went through? The first one I'd have to say would be the bank. We didn't call the bank the day my dad passed away, and within a week, they had found out. And this is 2008, 2009. Um, we were still making profits, but obviously we were hurting like everybody else. And they had set up a meeting with our accounting office, and we come in and we sit down. And I had met this guy a hundred times before, and he sits down at the table, and he looks at me, and he says, how are we going to liquidate? Didn't wow. say, so wow. sorry for your loss. Didn't say, what, do you, what are your plans now? Just said, how are we going to liquidate? So that was definitely the biggest slap in the face. And the funny part is, is about two years ago, right before I switched banks, this guy came in and, you know, he's giving me free tickets and aren't you so glad that we helped you out? And it was just, it was a riot. So that was the first one is, is the bank was the biggest slap in the face. And then the other, the other, the hardest other part was seriously dealing with family and just determining who was going to do what. There was a lot of tension at work. It's, yeah, I love my job. I've, I've always loved my job. I love working with my family. I, I love that we're a small family-owned company. We're flexible and very family-oriented. You know, it was the first time I've ever just dreaded going to work every day. It's just, you know, having to deal with those kind of struggles with your family. And So so how did you get through some of those family issues? Can you talk specifically about what, what those issues were? I don't know if, that, <laughs> if that's a, still a sore subject or not, but... Um, you know, I think a lot of it was just trust. Without working together with some of the family members for very long and, and having them all of a sudden a, a huge part of the business, a lot of it was just there was no trust there. I think that, you know, had there been um, a will established and, and a trust or a, a living trust, I think that that would have definitely just eliminated a lot of the struggles that we went through. It just would have defined this is how it's going to be. And we could have just all assumed and moved into those roles as opposed to us trying to kind of duke it out. Was was there any question about who was going to take over presidency of the company? Not in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What well, about in everybody else's mind? <laughs> I, I just have a quick question. So I just want to know what the, the makeup was of the company. It, you, you were working in the business and your sister, Sarah, was not working full time in the business. And it was just you were the only two survivors, right? Just you and your sister? Correct. How did you make it through the transition with the bank? They they came to you and they said, how are we going to liquidate? Um, so obviously they didn't have any empathy towards you as a person, your company. They just wanted their money. How did you make it through that transition? So fortunately, uh, my dad, uh, quite a few years prior, had purchased a life insurance policy that it, I mean, it didn't eliminate all of our debt, but it actually was able to pay off enough of it to get us through the transition and until our statements started turning around and kind of got us out of the water a little bit with the bank. Wow. Well, that, and you know what, you know what was tough too? This happened in 2008, 2009 when the bottom fell out of the economy. We were in that great recession. So not only boom, you got a double, you, your dad suddenly passed. We're in this, you know, big, deep, wide recession. And and here you are. Wow, it's it's a great story. So given what you've gone through, what advice would you give to others in the metalworking nation who are in family businesses like yours? I think the biggest thing is for the current owners to be very transparent. 
with the person that you believe is coming up. You know, luckily my dad, it really kind of helped me, as held me close, and I was able to meet with the attorneys, with the bankers, with the accountants. You know, I knew who our general contractors were. I knew who our major customers were. I was very involved. So, you know, when everything happened, I knew exactly who I needed to call. I knew exactly who I needed to get in contact with and who was going to be there to be our advocate. The other things I would mention is, you know, if you have a plan of how you want your business to be after you're gone, put it on paper. Don't let those decisions be made by the next people coming up. It's a, it's a horrible time to have to make those kind of decisions. And, you know, there's nothing I want more than to live out my dad's dream, but if it's not on paper, it's hard to do that. So we're kind of making things up as we go and trying to live up to his expectations. And, uh, you know, I think he's passing up down to us that we can do that, but it just would have been a heck of a lot easier if we had some kind of a guidance. I think that's great advice. Be transparent about how you want to handle the succession of the company and, and just have a vision of where you want to go. I think that's great advice, Stacy. So that wraps up our first interview on making chips. Stacy, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, Stacy. Beautiful, beautiful, not a beautiful story, but it's, uh, it's a, certainly a heartfelt story. And um, I, I think it was great that you were able to share that with uh, all of our listeners. So Jim, I've got um, I've got some metalworking tools that I want to talk about. Um, right. It's actually metalworking machinery. I recently went out to one of the locations for a company called Southwest Industries. They are a machine tool company. They make CNC lays and CNC mills. I think they also have a drilling machine. And what Southwestern Industries does is that they focus on the small lot manufacturing. So their intention is not to try to compete with like a Mazak to try to um compete on the production manufacturing level, but they they want to make they want to produce a machine where you can go from, you know, design of the part to programming to manufacturing very quickly. Interesting. So what you're saying is it's a small CNC vertical machining center and or lathe Correct. Oh, interesting. And and, and I believe and it's a it's an American made uh, uh, machine machine tool. Uh, their headquarters are in California. I I don't know exactly you know what components are made in the United States and what what components are made overseas, if any are. But uh, but I do know that they're located in California. They do have a location um, in Elk Grove Village. And I, and I they Close to me. yeah what they do use is they use a um a CNC um interface called ProTrack and I believe that that's a um a proprietary interface for them. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about the machine. Like, is it a, is it a Cat 40 spindle? Yes, I did just look it up. The mill is a Cat 40. It holds 16 tools and RPM. It's got, what's his uh, what's 8, thousand RPM? That's great. That's good. Yeah. So, wh- who is the target buyer for that type of machine tool? I would say that somebody you know. You can have a company that does production machining, but then if they also have prototyping that they want to do, they could also have one of these um, machines on their shop floor because, like I said, it allows you to produce those prototypes a lot quicker than you could um, on one of the traditional CNC machines. So what what are they trying to sell? Are they trying to sell the size and cost of the machine, or are they trying to sell the interface that where the, 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 the technology of the machine, like it's really... It's really fast to program the machine, throw the part in there real quick, program e- it really quick, and get it done. Yeah, ease of use. Ease of use. Interesting. Okay, good. Yeah, I'd like to look at. I'd like to look at it someday. What, so what's next? That wraps things up. It is. Well, it was a good one. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Episode five, on on the books, done. It was great. Once again, uh, I want to thank Stacy Bales. Uh, uh, Stacy's a good friend of ours from uh, our trade association. 
we're fellow board members on that trade association. I've heard her story a few times, and um, I thought it was compelling and uh, was worthwhile to share with uh, the metalworking nation. Yeah, I think it was a great interview to have for our very first. So with that said, uh, we want to say goodbye to everybody, and don't forget to uh, look us up on makingships.com. Please leave us some feedback on what, what you uh, think about our, our shows, what, where we should go in the future. We want to hear from you. The only way we know is if you let us know if we're doing things right, wrong, or indifferent. With that said, that's it. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. Bam.